Hello, everybody. We're doing a cold open this episode because I need to give you guys a big old content warning. In case you didn't see the title, we are going to be talking about sexual assault this episode. So if that's a topic you're not in a place to hear about right now, go ahead, give this one a skip, and we'll see you next episode. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the One Big Podcast. It is me, your host, fellow worker Jason, and I'm here with, as always, fellow worker Derek. Say hello, Derek. Hello. And we have two special guests today to talk about iWalk, complaints, and all sorts of different things. First off, we have Brianna. Uh, she is uh, with iWalk. Say hello, Brianna. Hello. And we have fellow worker Colin from Sacramento. Hello, Colin. Hello. Today, like I said, we're going to be talking iWalk and kind of the fallout of the complaints um, resolution that didn't make it through convention. And well, fallout might be a little dramatic. I don't know. Okay. Well, the <laughs> nuclear apocalypse of convention uh, is that uh, is sure. that less dramatic? I think you went in the in in, in the more dramatic direction. <laughs> okay. um, well, we'll talk about the results of uh, convention and the complaints uh, resolution that was brought forward. And uh, some of what, how iWalk works, because um, we had some, on the last episode, some talks about that. Um, Derek, you want to start us off? Um, yeah, so we talked a lot. We spent a lot of time talking about the biggest, like the biggest resolution I've ever seen in the IWW, right? And I've, I've, only, I've only been here in six years. I know there's some old timers who've been around in the union for a long time. Um, maybe there have been larger resolutions in the past. This is the largest I've ever seen. Uh, but I do know that like, since I joined the union six or seven years ago, memory is a fickle thing, that the complaints process has always been like a controversial subject. It's it's always been something that's like, well, we got to do something about it or it's being used for political ends and and purposes. And I was, you know, personally really encouraged this year when this was released. Um, I think I saw a post on the forums at some point or somewhere, maybe it was in a GOB, somebody basically said, um, this is coming out and presented kind of the language and it was gigantic, but it was, it was a really solid, like good faith effort, I felt like to like tackle the question and issue of how do we deal with complaints in the union. Uh, and and then it went to convention this year, and like all the things that all the resolutions that went before convention, it was voted down. Uh, so, I, Brianna, you were at convention this year, right? Like, how how did that go, and why why like do you have any thoughts about why it was voted down in the long run? So, um, the convention rules now for what it takes to make a amendment to the IWW constitution is that it needs to pass by a two-thirds majority. So it was actually voted down something like 103 in favor to 60 some against. So um, <laughs> we were five votes short of getting that two-thirds majority. So people were overwhelmingly in favor of it. Um, we were just a couple votes short. And so for one, the proposal was super long. It was, it spanned everything. Like we covered, we looked up the word, um, you know, we did a control F search for the word complaint, mediation, all through every bit of um, IWW uh, rules, guidelines, MPP, the, um, the CRC, the old CRC, like everything. 
and we pulled it all together in one big document and like meshed it all up and came up with new ideas and new processes. So it was a lot to read. Um, and then, so we, we got our whole proposal together. The GEB voted, um, yes, we'll send it to convention. Well, we kept working on it at, at the same time. Like after that version was sent to convention, um, the committee kept working on it with feedback from members and um, made an additional draft uh, continuing the work, which we um, then presented as a set of amendments to the, the resolution. So when it got to convention, it was pages and pages and pages, and then we had pages and pages of uh, <laughs> amendments, and we... <laughs> We had this giant set of amendments that was all peppered throughout. A lot of it was just cleaning up language. There was one very important part of it though. And that was the IWW's lawyer had pointed out a flaw in our process that made it like violate labor law. And so we had to change that. That was one of, that was part of the giant amendment package the amendments were too much for people at convention and it was voted down so the amendment package was voted down pretty evenly or if not overwhelmingly i can't remember exactly people were just like no you did your 25 pages and we're hanging in with you on that but we're not doing the 15 pages of amendments just no so even at that um so that means the the lawyer's feedback you know, to make it more compliant with labor law, didn't make it into the resolution. So people had concerns about the fact that those amendments were not included. And that's that's what it was. But again, like we overwhelmingly, majority of people are in favor of it. And so what we're doing now is continuing the work. It'll come back again next year. Whether or not any of us are still on the GEB next year, we'll um, find branches that will want to introduce it. We'll keep working on it, keep getting membership feedback, keep making it stronger and better. And also simultaneously during the rest of this year, while we are still, John and I are still on the GEB, we'll start looking at some of the MPP language that doesn't require a constitutional amendment and see if we can do some little patches here and there to start fixing up some of that stuff right now. Okay, so I mean, that's, so there's a, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. Um, and so it sounds like the, I haven't seen any of the amendments and I, I haven't really seen like a good report out of convention. So um, I, I, I don't, I don't know, maybe there are other members out there who are curious, but how do you get the minutes of convention? Do we have to reach out to somebody? Will they be published at some point? They will be published at some point and I can follow up with you at a later date and find you a link to that. That would be great. I would love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, like the, so, so the version that I'm even looking at, which is the version that I pulled out of the GOB isn't even the final version. You did 15 more pages of amendments and editing work to, to make this, to improve upon what, what had already been put together. Man, that would have been a long podcast to edit. <laughs> Plus or minus, it might've only been like three or four pages. It just seems like a lot, um. It's just so much. This language is so dense. There's like no plot. There's just this terrible character development. It just is like really <laughs> a lot of words. Every little word is like a page. So the big things 
so I guess I have I have one principal question. There was one piece of language, I don't know if you recall, uh, that we that we'd had some questions about, and it was the list of offenses. I'm not sure if that list grew or it shrank or if there are really any edits to it, but there was, you know, some questions that we had around um the other all let's see other union related conduct prejudicial to the good order and welfare of the IWW or its members which feels like a catch-all and I think from like a good faith perspective felt a lot to me like I understand why we're putting it in there but then with like my with my bad faith actor hat on, I think, but how can I abuse this? And the answer is a lot of ways. And that was, and that was, I think, the concern that I that I had expressed in the last in the last episode, um, in in that episode. How many episodes? Is there, is there an episode between Jason? I need to be I need to be taken into account. No, I think that was the last episode. I just got to make sure the continuity here makes sense, you know. Um, but so in that last episode, there was really that that question was one of the big ones that I had was how would this be applied? And I'm not sure how comfortable I felt. And I still don't know how comfortable I feel with that language in there. So that came up uh, after we sent the draft to convention. It was part of the amendment. I believe we ended up changing that but I can note your concerns about it for future drafting and continuing to work on it. But I believe we did remove that part or change it to address those concerns. Cool. Well, I, I look forward to uh, at least seeing the amendments that were also not approved and maybe see what work was on that. That sounds, that sounds great. So the big piece here, the most like controversial piece Possibly. I don't know. Maybe the whole thing is controversial. Like most of this seemed very straightforward to me. I mean, long and lots of bits and pieces, lots of bits and bobs that I was curious, like, you know, and lots of volunteers we need and lots of training, fully supportive of it. Love the mediation process. I love the structure behind it. This, this is just one Wob's opinion, right? Um, and and then I we got down to the sexual assault section. Um and this was new. I didn't expect to find this in here. I don't know why. Maybe I just missed it previously uh, in, in previous like talks about it. And, and this has a whole, a whole process that included suspending members from the union and how we could go about investigations. And this is like, it was, it was very interesting because in the Ypsilanti branch, you know, this was a question this was a question that had come up for us, um, not not because, thank goodness, there was no sexual assault like, within the branch, um, but there was a question that we had about about somebody who had become like a member or was thinking about becoming a member, and they had said to us, "Well, I have these sexual assault cases that have been." That have been made against me at some point and and i'm fighting those in court and i could really use the solidarity and i was like oh my god i don't know i don't know if you've come to the right branch for solidarity on that one my friend like and then we had to kind of think about like what's the process for like maintaining a safe space and do you like how do you admit a member like that and and do do, do what the courts say like if the if if the courts rule like you're innocent like do we go okay i guess he's innocent or like like what's the process for that and we really struggled with that for uh for a little while kind of 
trying to think through a fair process just to give like a a a a fellow worker who wanted to become a wob um but had this thing with him but also respecting like i said like the safe spaces and and how do we maintain that in our in 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 the ipciww with such like an awful albatross hanging around their neck and therefore ours and then so that so i found this section very interesting but i found that i had the same wall like i don't know what to do here and i don't know like if there are other people in the union who have experience with it and then i thought well i walk i walk deals with incarcerated workers i wonder if they deal with this um and i think that's that was kind of a question that I had, which is what brought Colin to me here at some point, actually. So the question I have is like this, the, the, like if you want me to ask a specific question here about like the resolution itself is, I guess, how how did this language, like it, like how did this language find its way into the resolution? Is it best practice? Does it, does it come from other experiences in the union? Is... Like what? What is the origin, and is this also like where some of the legal difficulties came from with um, OLMS or whoever was monitoring us closely from the federal government this year? Yes, uh, this is exactly where the legal difficulties came from. The part that you mentioned about suspending members—we can't just do that. Turns huh. out. Um, so what we can do is a preliminary injunction, and that would entail if a member is accused of something really heinous, stealing money, sexual assault, rape, anything like that, if it seems very likely on the surface that that complaint is going to stick, like if there's overwhelming evidence right off the bat, you can do a preliminary injunction wherein that member is not allowed access to the platforms that they could use to cause further harm while the complaint is being heard. So for example, um, they may be removed from email lists if they're verbally harassing people, or if they're accused of stealing money, they may have a, be removed from the bank account temporarily. Uh, and that is, and also that what goes along with that is an expedited complaint process. So if it's important enough that a preliminary injunction is allowed, then it's important enough to put it on a fast track to get it resolved, dealt with, heard, figured out, and and sorted out one way or the other. Does that make sense? So the law, like so the law, the legal angle of this, it sounds like, gives us some leeway to be able to like expedite the complaints process while limiting certain rights that could allow the harm to perpetuate. Exactly. Yep. Okay. And so that was included in the large package of amendments. And it was pretty important to have that in there. Um, we had discussed and if, if the motion, if the resolution had passed without it, John and I would just be there to make sure that whoever was, uh, acting on this resolution would know how to interpret that part in a way that that would not get us into any trouble or violate anyone's rights. So that's that's very interesting background. Where where does the where did this come from? And 
and like 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 so like the question i was like was it was it best practice um is this learned from other lessons in the union somewhere else um or outside of the organization um that i think that was one of the questions that you know we struggled with as a local branch when trying to figure out what to do in certain situations involving sexual assault um or charges around them was uh was like what do you do with it and and who has experience with it? And the answer was, well, there wasn't a lot of information actually. So I'm kind of curious, like where you all pulled this from or did you just put a bunch of experts in the room and come up with like, like with like language around this? So this is where the content warning that y'all played at the beginning of the show comes in. We had a serial rapist in my branch that I used to be with. Um, they raped multiple people. They were... Um, expert leftists. They had definitely mastered all of the language. Uh, a woman friend of this serial rapist told us at one point that this guy is a master feminist. He taught me everything I know about feminism. So they know how to, you know, read the book and do the accountability and promise to be better and admit their faults. And then they get back invited, you know, to the drunken sleepover and they can rape more people. So I'm coming from a background of being like a rando lumpen, you know, just whatever. And I, I've never seen behavior like this, like rapists just get their ass kicked and, and you go on about life. Uh, and I get here and it's like this whole process. And, and I'm like, well, you can't rape people. And, and they were like, they came to a branch meeting and were accusing us of not doing the parliamentary procedure correctly or whatever. And I'm like, motherfucker, I got thumbs. I will type a new goddamn procedure. And hence this was born. <laughs> I also come from the punk rock school of, oh, there's somebody we don't want at our show. Let's take them to the alley. Yeah. And just, you just remove them. You tell everybody, you know, I've, I've been in communities where like there was a known serial rapist and like the guy just gets his ass kicked every once in a while. And somebody feels like kicking somebody's ass. Otherwise you just let everybody know, Hey, that dude's a rapist. Don't go anywhere alone with him. He's here. We know where he's at, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, this whole accountability and, and navigating this with with this parliamentary language is, is was very new to me uh but I knew it was like not acceptable I'm like no this is absolutely unacceptable that like I'm not doing the procedure right therefore you're going to just continue being here in our spaces endangering people it's not acceptable and so I had reached out to the gender equity committee this would have been uh I think 2014 13 around in there and reached out to the gender equity committee then which was an email list serve and anyone in the union could be on the list serve and I was like hey gender equity committee can you help me with this and a person in Portland and a person in I believe Michigan helped me write this the three of us wrote it oh and uh one in the UK as well so there were like four of us that uh drafted this and so it became part of my branch uh, and then now it, I, I just, didn't, so we were discussing the complaint resolution thing and we got to the part of sexual assault, abuse, harassment, rape, and it's kind of like this big giant thing and question mark. And I'm like, well, I happen to have like this thing that we drafted up years ago. 
Uh, and so it got put in there and then we took feedback on it and improved the certain things, most notably the uh, feedback from the lawyer, which again, did not make it into the final version that convention voted on. And that is the origin of it. So that's like that, that, that's like a very so this has been in the works for a while is what is what I'm hearing um, since 2014 it basically sounds like you kind of got the ball rolling on at least talking about this with people uh, wobbly wobbly bureaucracy is slow in its motion sometimes and there's been resistance to it I've been on this idea that we should not um allow members to rape people and continue being members i feel like like that's the most delicate way i can say it it is not a um, contradiction that why that's not a controversial take right like that that, that is you, absolutely not a controversial take you leftist you, <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird it's so weird uh this accountability and and whatnot as opposed to just you know, justice for survivors and protecting vulnerable people. Uh, so anyway, I, I've had various forms of resistance and it just never got introduced on a NARA level. I didn't feel like it would even have a chance or remotely ever pass. Uh, and then surprisingly, uh, almost two thirds of the people at convention voted yes, even on the flawed draft. So that's super encouraging. And yeah, just to be clear, there was, and then I guess there was some discussion about people are rape apologists or whatever, because that the people that did not want this to pass, the people that voted no, and I don't feel like that's fair. And I don't feel like it's accurate because I was, I, I was so impressed like that it got so many yes votes. Uh, if if we were a union of rape apologists and whatnot, it would not have gotten so many yes votes. And I don't, I think the few people that did vote no had concerns and they're allowed to vote no. And we're allowed to keep working on it until those concerns are addressed. And it's a better thing that more people will like and feel comfortable with. You are, I mean, you come off, I don't know you particularly well, right? But like you come off here to me in this moment as like, uh, a saint of patience here um <laughs> uh like like and, and i and i think it's i think it's a very fair and and kind way to interact with people um who we may have you know disagreements with and you know i'm a person who i think that my ultimate decision in our last podcast you know not that i was making decisions for the iww but my but my final my my ultimate decision was like i like i'm not affected by this like i'm not I am not a sexual assault survivor. Um, I, I don't know what it's like. I don't know what those experiences are like. There are things that made me raise my eyebrows in it, right? There are things that I looked at and I was like, okay, so voluntary, so voluntary like re resignation processes. Um, there's a process for potentially removing people. There's language in here. You know, I'm a you know, I'm a leftist in America, but like the but the American traditions and ways of thinking are still in my blood. And so like, 
The survivor is presumed to be innocent and should be presumed to be a reliable witness of their own account. And there's something, there's like, there are, there's 38 years of procedural cop dramas in my blood, um, like Law and Order, thank you, Dick Wolf, and whoever the hell's made, whoever the hell's makes these shows, that's like, what do you mean? But what, what about the presumption of innocence for, for the perpetrator and and like these are the things that are floating through my head while I'm looking at this. And these are the things that also, you know, make me uncomfortable. And and but ultimately, I think what what I said was, well, there are two things I said. One was, I wonder what iWalk does with this. Um, if iWalk has a way of handling this, um, if they ever encounter this type of thing, or I then also like. I mean, it's not bad language. There are parts of it that make me uncomfortable, but ultimately I think it protects victims and I'm comfortable with it. And not not to be glib or dismissive of people's concerns, but there's also, I think, a part of me that was very much so like what you said, Brianna, which is, I think the answer is don't rape people. And you might like, like talk about consent, have a conversation about what your relationship is with somebody. Um, uh, don't go to drunken sleepovers and rape people. Like I think that these are these are basic things that you can probably do to not find yourself subject to this. Uh, I'm just gonna try them in there and just say, don't go to drunken sleepovers. Period. End of sentence. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I don't do sleepovers anymore. I'm in my thirties. But if you do accidentally find yourself at a drunken sleepover, don't rape anybody. To interject about the um, the survivor being uh, presumed innocent, we did end up removing that because someone else had a concern about it and it was not integral to anything. Uh, it was me being like, you know, so often survivors are presumed it was how they were dressed. It was because they were drinking. It was because this, that, and everything under the sun. Uh, but that's not necessary. And if it makes people feel more comfortable, it was fine. We did take that out as one of the amendments. Well, you know, it's also, and I want to kind of say the quiet part out loud here um, a little bit. And there are probably many quiet parts. So this might not be the one you're thinking of right now. But there, like, there is, there is at least speaking for myself, a sense that there's like a culture of fear around the complaints process in the IWW, right? Like we are, we are, we are a union that pretends that we don't do politics, right? But we do uh, our, we do a lot of politics. There's a lot of politicking happening in the, in the union. We can debate and talk about what those politics look like, but, but like, there is a sense and a fear from some people that the complaints process can be used for political ends. And so I, 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 I always kind of wonder if there's an underlying concern that some people are saying are, are actually being quite, quite loud about. And then there are other, then there are people who, who are projecting their concerns as something else, but they're actually just concerned that, that this might be weaponized by by somebody that they don't agree with at some point, which seems unlikely, but but maybe is possible. I don't know. Yeah, I wanna I wanna hear what Brianna has to say, but I would just say that um, we kind of like state repression in the United States has changed a lot in terms of what it looks like since like the Palmer raids. So I just think we should keep in mind that 
sowing uh, conflict, creating paranoia, and perhaps gumming up like, you know, bureaucratic processes um, is something that could theoretically or potentially already is uh, being used to, to, if not like suppress the IWW outright, like reduce its effectiveness. Um, and I think that we should design policies and procedures with that in mind. Yes, yeah, strong agree with Colin. Uh, it could be weaponized. People could attempt to weaponize it. They already weaponized the complaints process. And so that's just an issue with, with life and humanity. Now, if it was me and uh, someone, someone's boss came to me and said the lead IWW organizer in the workplace had sexually assaulted them, I would look to the rest of the branch and be like, do y'all believe it? If they don't, I don't, we don't believe it. This is dismissed. So it was written in there that, that obviously frivolous complaints designed to disrupt could be dismissed like super quickly. Uh, so there are attempts in there to try and, and balance that. But yeah, it's always a concern, you know? I mean, that's one of the things with, with life and humanity is, People will figure out ways to undermine and sabotage and derail each other's lives any way possible. Um, yeah, on the note of like complaints being used to disrupt, I think it doesn't it doesn't just look like the like uh, accusation of like a certain particular thing. Like a lot of probably the most disruptive potential accusations would be like things that are that are really vague that are kind of like almost a complete matter of opinion, whether it was done or not, or it has to do with how someone, you know, allegedly felt about a certain thing that we know happened, but we don't know if, if they're really just blowing it out of proportion or, or not. And so, um, so yeah, just all that just to say that like disruptive complaints don't have to be about uh, sexual assault. No, 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 they don't. And, 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 and I, and I also just, want to kind of pick up on the thread there as well to say that I, I often feel like there's nothing you can do in the union to escape that right like any system you build is always going to be subject to somebody trying to figure out how to gamify it right you're talking about constructed human social systems <laughs> i mean we 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 build these things and then we build rules and there's there's no way to make a to make an airtight ship, uh, air, airtight boat. I don't know what that metaphor I'm trying to come up with is, but it probably wasn't going to be a very good. Point is um, that I don't I don't think there's a way that you can escape this ultimately, and and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't work towards making the best system that we can. Which is why I appreciate Brianna's sentiment that we we are going to keep trucking on this, right? We're going to come back. We're going to bring it back. We're going to listen to people. We're going to try and make some modifications. Um, and we're going to work towards that excellent bastion of wobbly democracy, two-thirds majority, to send things to a re referendum for the members to vote on. Um, that is, that is, I think, um, good. And I appreciate that attitude. And I, and, I, and, I, and I certainly hope to see this come back at next year's convention. And just kind of random interjection. I love the two-thirds thing. Like, our thing didn't pass and that's sad, whatever. But I love the two thirds thing. It forces people to get out of their social cliques 
out of their factions. It forces more people to have to actually work together and hear each other to be able to do anything. Um, I disagree. I think it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> now nobody gets what we want. I hope everyone's happy. Obviously, uh-huh. we're not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think maybe maybe like a 60-40 thing would be okay, but two-thirds is a lot. And it makes things it can make things pretty difficult, and as we've seen, so that's valid. Thank you, yeah. Adam, for the counterpoint. Yeah, I I, I think that that that's that, that's actually a subject I would love to have a discussion about, and I'm actually looking forward to see the two thirds thing play out over the next couple of years, um, because I started last year in a very similar boat to you, Colin, and I still feel that way this year, where I I think it's going to make wobbly democracy harder. Um, you know, the 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 question. The question that we ask at convention is, do we send this resolution to the membership to vote on, right? And and if the answer, like, like the answer to that is, well, yes, but if you pass two thirds, well, wh- wh- why don't you just let the members decide in the long run? Um, like, why don't we see if 50% of us, 51% of us say yes, and then see what the members say? I mean, that's ultimately what we're doing. But, but I do think um, I'm curious what the long-term effects are and the long-term effects may be what you just said, Brianna, which is maybe it pulls us out of our holes a little bit. And we have, we have some conversations and we get to know people and it pulls us out of factions and we have some, we have some good results that come out of it. Um, or maybe it just wears us down. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to stay away from cynicism or optimism on the matter and just see how it plays out while participating in rigorous conversation about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there was one thing that really kind of came out of this, and it's a question that I've that I've already kind of alluded to several times here, and that is, what does IWOC do around sexual assault? And I asked that question, and then Colin and I had a conversation, and I felt like I had wrongfully, like I had maligned IWOC, you know, based on my conversation with Colin. And so I definitely wanted to 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 invite you both here because I know that you know you are both involved and engaged in IWOC and kind of clear the air and talk about, you know, what IWOC is, what it's been up to, and and how it relates to some of these issues. Actually, I, um, my first question would be, what is your guys' involvement with IWOC? Are you like um, mem- uh, just members or, you know, like how, how involved are you, I guess? So I'm one of the founders and I'm like the office person coordinator. Uh, so I help people get their memberships updated and that sort of thing. So uh, I've been, it's been like my whole entire project for years, ever since it started. And you mentioned that I seem to be very, very patient. I walk is why. My friend Lorenzo Camboa Irvin, years ago, I met him on Facebook. Again, I was, I'm not a leftist, wasn't a leftist. I'm just some rando. And I, I finally found out what unions are when I was like 40. I, that was like a whole nother backstory. But Lorenzo told me about his experiences in the IWW and it was terrible and I was like I I quit I won't be in that that's awful and he's like don't quit go fix it make it a union for prisoners so I won't quit and I haven't quit and I think people are getting tired of fighting with me and are just like I guess she's not going away (laughs) so I am I am eternally patient because this is what Lorenzo told me to go do. And he's my friend and I'm here for him. Uh, so, and Colin, do you want to talk about your involvement? Um, yeah, I have been involved in IWOC a while. I think I got involved in it 
pretty soon after I joined the union, which is I, which is coming up on the seven year anniversary for me as well. I don't know the exact date, but it's like when it was like the winter of 2015, like the end of 2015. So it'll be seven years soon. And then in the fall of 2016, I got involved in IWAC and have been ever since. And I have been around and have been a part of the formation of the Sacramento IWAC branch, which was really small uh, until uh, the summer of 2020 and now is significantly larger by a few orders of magnitude. Um, and I also was around and part of the founding of the Sacramento general membership branch. I am the communications officer for the Sacramento uh, GMB, and I'm also in reach coordinator for the Sacramento IWAC branch. So an officer uh, at the local level. So I guess generally, um, how does IWAC work? Uh, and like, um, what is the process of joining IWAC like? Because in our branch, we often sort of half jokingly talking about arson. And then Derek tells us if we go to prison, we can join IWAC. So knowing how it works might be good in case that happens. <laughs> yes. So all you have to do to join is uh, let any IWOC local or IWW general headquarters or uh, NARA IWOC in Kansas City know that you would like to be a member and you can be a member. And it's free for all prisoners anywhere in the world. And whatever way you can let us know that you want to join is perfectly acceptable. Awesome. And what kind of work does IWOC do? So um, I think the primary and like most important thing that we do is we are a source of like outside pressure on prison administrations when prisoners are making collective demands. I think give examples of that i mean obviously the 2016 and 2018 national prisoner strikes are like the most well known but there's a lot of um actions and like even strikes that take place not even necessarily for like a whole facility but maybe just for like one kitchen on one yard in one prison in one state um and we do our best to like a be in a position to know when that kind of stuff is happening and be um be able to like put pressure on the administration um when it does and then i like so that's like our first role and then our second role um is like supporting the people that are members inside um and like keeping as much as you know is reasonable you know given our capacity uh keeping in touch with them um providing them things, but also not um, putting ourselves in a position where we're like heavily like playing favorites and being like, oh, well, you, I'm gonna buy, like, I'm gonna buy you like a new pair of shoes. And, but I haven't like written to other people in like months or whatever, um, that's like a delicate balance. Um, so yeah, we, a lot of times people will ask us for stuff and we'll have to be like, well, no, cause I'm not ready to do that for everyone. So I'm not going to do it for you if I'm not going to do it for other people. That's that's like a synopsis. Then myself, I am uh, an anarcho-bureaucrat. I sign people up. I send out forms. I make photocopies of forms. I scan forms. Uh, I 
y'all are familiar with Kafka, the writer Kafka. So my goal is to be more Kafka than Kafka. And so I developed a form letter to respond to the prison when they ban our mail. And it's like, we here at the KCIWOCOWLD, Kansas City Incarcerated Workers of the World Literature Organizing Department Committee would like to question why you have banned our literature. Please provide a copy of all your uh, regulations with the affected portions highlighted as well as a copy of the offensive material with the affected portions highlighted so that we may compare and contrast because we never ever want to violate jail rules. I have actually gotten our newsletter unbanned in Florida sending that. So uh, anarcho-bureaucrat, I am here to create forms and fill them out and file them and scan them and send them back to you. <laughs> And maybe they should call you paper cut. I don't know. Right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yay. I have a nickname. That's that 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 that's amazing. Um and I love I love every piece of that story. I, I love it. Yeah, that's and that that is also a synopsis. That's really just scratching the surface of of all the ingenious stuff uh, that Brianna does for us and has taught other people how to do as well. All right. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's already substantially more about IWOC than I think I was fully familiar with. Um, so definitely appreciate, definitely appreciate you two sort of breaking that down. And also Jason's interviewing experience for getting back to the basics. Um, <laughs> thanks, Jason. So y'all deal with people who are in prison, right? Like you, you deal with and you interact with people that are in prison, deal with not being the right word, right? You organize with people that are in prison. You interact with them. You, you know them. They, they also um, leave prison at some point, and some of them, I imagine, continue on to become like IWOC, IWOC members or IWW um, general membership branch meeting members or, or things of that nature. What, what are your own like internal rules around how you deal with with issues around sexual assault in IWOC? So from a bureaucratic standpoint, every delegate in the union is required to sign up anyone who requests membership. We do have a thing though, where when a branch is being formed, there can be some stipulations on requirements for who is a branch member. We have a policy that people with those kind of charges, sexual assault, rape, et cetera, are not allowed to be among the 10 founding members of an IWW branch in prison, which to back up just a little bit, uh, IWOC is the organizing committee that facilitates the members in prison's formation of their branches. So we send them like copies of sample bylaws and help them figure out the process so that they can form branches inside the prison. So they're actual IWW members, they're forming IWW branches, formal GMBs inside the prisons. And we can stipulate that people who are forming branches, the 10 founding members cannot have those charges unless they are vouched for by their fellow prisoners. Most <laughs> Other prisoners are not going to vouch a rapist, especially not a child predator. So that's how we handle that. This sets up expectations and a culture where we're super clear that if you have those kind of charges, there's going to be questions. Like being in prison with a rape charge is a red flag. It just is. Like it just is. And so people who, 
cannot accept that or who become angry or demand to, you know, be part of something. Those kind of things are more red flags. So basically just kind of like trying to evaluate the behavior, how they're acting, if they seem to understand like consent and um, boundaries and whatnot. Uh, all these red flags go a long way towards figuring out uh, how I will interact with them. And then again, if their fellow prisoners vouch them and are like, no, he didn't even know he was just drunk being on a fence. He did not know it was even a kindergarten. And now he's got this horrific charge against him or one person was 16 and one person was 18 or whatever. Um, most prisoners are, are not uh, pro-rape. And that just kind of, again, sets up that culture of expectations where they're, if they really are a creeper, they're not going to feel real comfortable with us. Um, yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that when uh, fellow worker Brianna said that uh, being in prison for rape is a red flag, I think she also prominently meant not, she didn't just mean for people not in prison, like obviously for people not in prison, uh, being in prison for rape is, is a bit more than a red flag. But I think you meant also for people who, other people in prison, it's a red flag for them. Is that what you meant? I did not mean it like that, but I totally accept that interpretation. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I was just going to say, like, there's this, um, you know, this kind of trope about prison that it's like, um, you know, murderers and rapists or whatever. And um, not only is that, like, uh, not <laughs> completely accurate, obviously, um, but people who have, like, committed sex crimes like that are not they, they do not get to roll with the normal groups in prison. Often they have to be isolated um, for their own safety, quote unquote. And depending on how the system is structured and depending on like what the street life is like outside and you know, a prison inside of prison, it's like things can look really different. But basically not a lot of other people in prison are gonna wanna organize with someone like that. That being said, there are like more cases than I think people are widely known of people, you know, either like set up by the system or um, getting hit with a charge that, that like they did stuff, the stuff was bad, and then they get hit with the charge and the charge sounds really, really bad. But in reality, it wasn't quite as bad as the charge makes it sound um, type of situation. And then there are, and then there are straight up situations where someone like, flashes their uh, boobs at a party and gets labeled like a sex offender for life. And that if, I mean, that happens in California uh, in particular quite a bit. We have like this huge sex offender registry system and it's kind of a mess. And, um, and people, it's so much of a bureaucratic mess that even people that like work in that specific system, like are aware of all the problems, are aware that people who, um, you know, just like, are outdoors, not near a toilet and had to take a piss and a cop rolls by or whatever, like that person can end up a sex offender for life. I mean, probably not, but like it could happen. And, you know, these are, this is the kind of like weird, like inhuman bureaucracy that like the US criminal legal system is. And it's, I guess it's better known for just being really, really racist, which is of course also true. And, um, and 
good to point out, but it's also just like bureaucratic, um, like Kafka-esque and, and bizarre. Um, also, I'll just say uh, my, uh, I've, I'm not gonna say exactly who, but there are people in my close like family and friends circle who are like, who've been like public defenders and stuff like that. So that's how I know about all of these weird cases. But um, I mean, there, if you wanna hear about a, you know, cases that are really bizarre, and of course, like this doesn't happen to most people who are in this situation, but it's like there have even been cases when like parents have pictures of their young kids not wearing clothes. And during whatever random series of events, they get like accused of having child porn. And then the, and then like actual prosecutors who are uh, like soulless machines sent to us from like planet bourgeoisie. Um, are like, oh yeah, this is a great opportunity to like fill a page. I can just be like, this person had child porn and no one will ask any questions. And it bourgeoisie sounds like a terrible place to go. It does not sound pleasant, I agree. So yeah, so I think that, you know, that's that's what I was thinking, you know, Colin, you and I, you and I chatted briefly and you kind of talked, you you talked to me a bit about about some of this and some of the things that you had said, Brianna, were also things that I that that you know Colin had talked to me about the red flags and who tends to organizing these circles and that's when I was like well geez now I feel like I've really maligned I really maligned um I walk so I I definitely appreciate you resolving uh, uh that, that you coming here and resolving the ignorance that I may have helped perpetuate and definitely appreciate uh, you know those perspectives and coming out to talk about those things and like your experiences and and how we organize in IWOC. But I will say, Jason, I didn't hear any particular prohibitions against against arsonists, especially arsonists against state capitalism. So not that I'm advocating anybody do that, but I think that I think I think it's still true that if you find yourself in prison, you can organize with IWOC. <laughs> On an unrelated note, I have to order those matchbooks really soon. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, I just want to make it clear. I didn't um, tell Derek that he had maligned Iwalk or imply that no, at all. Uh, no. That's just, that's just how you felt. That is how I felt. Those are my feelings. That's correct. And I didn't, I didn't, I also didn't think that you had, so I'm not, I'm not impressed about it. I, 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 I appreciate that. I do think, I do think it's important to, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't know a damn thing about Iwalk and I frankly still have an immense amount to learn about it. I'm sure like the IWW is, one of the things that continues to impress and amaze me about it as just an organization is like just pockets of people like you and Brianna and our fellow workers in the Ipsy branch and all over the country that are like just doing things that so many of us like just don't have insight into and like how you are using your capacity and to and to what ends and and the type of like struggle you are carrying forward. Like these are things that I don't know about and I can't pretend to know about them. Um, and so it is good to have folks come in and be willing to talk about those things. For sure. And also the, the threat of um, people who are being released with sex charges ending up in our branches is an issue that we talk about so regularly. Um, Courtney and me have office hours, six hours a week. We'll, we'll be on, on a conference call together and it's like an open jitsy. If anybody wants to call in, we'll schedule meetings, this and that. And it's a, it's a conversation that regularly comes up. As long as there are sexual predators, it's going to be an issue and a problem. Um, we've done some accountability around um, sexual harassment that could have gone better, could have gone worse. It's it's just an issue 
I have uh, the closest we've had to an actual sexual predator getting out and joining a branch was here in Missouri. And it came down to me writing a letter to the person because even though I knew what they had done, like undoubtedly, I 100% know what they did. Uh, I still didn't want to be passing information back and forth through the mail where the guards are reading it. And I was like, I know what you've done. And I know that you know that we're not about that. And if I hear from you again, everybody's going to know about it and didn't hear from them again. And, and I found out right as they were being released. Um, but that's one of the good things about this mass organizing is we get a chance to know a lot of people in different facilities all around who have met different people and can vouch or unvouch people. And you start hearing the same stories and the same corroboration and things. It, it really is, uh, is, People don't like rapists. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, people really don't like rapists, as it turns out. And I've kind of, like, in talking to Brianna, I've kind of, and, and not just Brianna, but other people, other anarchists, other people like that. And this is not, like, I don't want to speak in too broad of generalities, but I've kind of had to come face with, to the face with the fact that, like, broad sections of the working class are, like, far more hostile to rapists than, um, than huge segments of the left are. And that's bad. It's just another reason why we should be organizing the working class and not the left, right? Uh, and it's really just gross. And also, um, I mean, there's so many angles to like this conversation, but I also am gonna share, I don't wanna share like what happened in detail because that's like personal, but I can share like a very short synopsis of what of uh, incident that happened here. And then I will say what we did to deal with it and like what our process is after that happened. And I think that that's good. And I think that, I think, you know, I think it, it worked out. I mean, nothing is perfect. I don't wanna say it worked out perfectly, but it worked out pretty well. And I think we hear, like if you go through like anarchist or whatever literature about accountability and you, you go looking for like what people are saying on like the, the left or whatever, when it comes to accountability, there's a lot of stuff out there. That's like, I mean, people are very confused. I just want to say people are very confused when it comes to accountability. And a lot of people think that like, there's, that there's no such thing as accountability that like any form of accountability is really just, uh, is really just like illegitimate hierarchy or something. Uh, that's uh, it, <laughs> very incorrect in my opinion. Then there's also people who like want to hold people accountable, but they don't know how to hold, like there's a lack of understanding between like the differences between like holding someone accountable versus just like quote unquote canceling them and like making, you know, like making them really uncomfortable. And it's like, sometimes people deserve to be canceled or whatever. Like I'm not completely opposed to quote, you know, canceling per se as a form of accountability for for folks who who you know done stuff really messed up and who you know we don't want to have in our spaces anymore um like that is what accountability can look like but i think that there's like there's kind of a caricature of an accountability process that i think a lot of people might have in their heads which is like you sit down on stools in a room with the person that abused you and you talk it out 
And that's not what accountability is like at all. Um, and so, and no one should ever have to do that because that sounds completely like miserable, if not outright dangerous. So yeah, and I think like more people need to learn what accountability processes actually are. But of course that discourse itself is not like fully agreed upon either. And I can only give people like my, and, and our groups like formal interpretation of what that um, can look like. Yeah, I agree. And I think for me, a lot of it is like deterring people straight from the get go and letting them know that rapists are not welcome or appreciated, nor will they be harbored or apologized for in the IWW. So I've actually written to members in prison with those kind of charges and been like, if you really did this thing that it says you did, I cannot guarantee your safety in an IWW branch should you try to join. And I can't, you know, if people people don't like that kind of stuff. So I think it's it's good to just let let the world know we don't appreciate it and we won't put up with it. And even yeah, like within the discussion of abolition, there's a lot of kind of discussions of like, let's like, you know, like framing of like let's forgive everyone or like as if we're just gonna like abolition is like when everyone has a clean slate. And it's like, I personally don't vibe with that. Um, I mean, for one thing, I'm in no mood ever to forgive Henry Kissinger. So he's off the list of forgiveness as far as I'm concerned uh, permanently. And then also it's like, if someone has like, let's get real. Like there are people with like repeat histories of specific forms of abuse that we can accurately say they're not likely to break voluntarily. So I think when it comes to people like that, there's like a way that we could deal with them in like some kind of fully resourced, like higher stage of, of, you know, socialism or whatever. And then there's like how we can deal with them right now. Sure. And so I think what, you know, I can talk a little bit about how we could deal with them if we had like all the resources that the police have, but obviously we'd be buying, you know, <laughs> we'd be directing them, those resources differently, but I'd, it's, you know, more important right now to talk about how we can deal with them right now. Yeah. And I actually think there's an interesting, there's an interesting question here. Um, you know, I think that for the, for the night, we will probably need to wrap up here in the near future, but this has been a question that's been long on my mind, especially with like, with, with, with like the experiences I was talking about with our own branch recently, but also a couple of times that charges have made their way to the Ipsy branch. Like we have largely resolved them with, with mediation between members. Um, uh, and I am incredibly ignorant about accountability practices. Like I, like, like, like I, I just, I just am like when we had a situation where somebody wanted to, uh, um, what was thinking about becoming a member and, and they cited their sexual assault history. And I, I like, I hit a wall. Like I was like, I don't even, like, I, I just don't know what to do with you. Like, should I stand with you as a fellow worker in solidarity but like feel very uncomfortable with your background and offer you, I think the, what you said, Brianna, like, like we will not like be a refuge for you. I don't want to be a refuge for you. I don't want to be associated with that type of thing. And I definitely don't want someone to go, well, my fellow workers from the IWW support me. Why don't you <laughs> go fuck yourself? I mean, that's not, that's not what we're here for. And, and so 
And so like how, how we do accountability, even beyond, you know, you know, sexual assault seems like it's on a very far end of things, but there's like, there's, there's, there's just a question about accountability within a branch and, 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 a, and amongst fellow workers that I think could make a really great episode just to have a conversation about it at some point and kind of talk about how people do it in some spaces, because we don't really have a formal process. We've never needed it in the branch. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't think about having something like that in place. And I'm not even sure where to begin looking for it. Yeah, well, I've been in for you. We actually have a written document um, for SAC uh, IWOC that has not been adopted by anyone else as far as I know. It's a little document that like outlines the process and has like the Creative Commons or whatever at the bottom. And I can really lickety-split kind of give you guys an idea of how that goes. Um, just so that people can come away with some kind of understanding, I'll promise it'll be like under five minutes. Sure. Yeah, okay. So, and so this comes out of like a real incident that happened. And um, I'm just going to say it was very bad. It was very uh, harmful. It was intentional. And it was done when both people were intoxicated. And there was like verbal, like there was like verbally expressed, like, quote unquote consent, but that consent was not valid because the person was intoxicated. And I think a lot of people like forget that or think like, oh yeah, that's a rule, but because I'm the one breaking it, it doesn't matter in this situation. And so like, yeah, it does matter. Maybe if it's like your partner that you've been with for 25 years and they're drunk or whatever, like obviously that's a little different, but this that was not the case. So in this situation, there was like some non-consensual stuff that happened. And also I will just say the person who was assaulted did not did not think, think of it as assault right away they weren't they didn't like think of it that way right away it took them multiple like weeks and I think even months for them to kind of be like whoa I was sexually assaulted and that is totally okay and and valid and we should always like be open to that and not instinctively critique that as like oh you're now you've decided this or whatever so, but basically a lot of stuff happened to the person who was the person who did harm. And then ultimately that person read a bunch of, uh, they didn't have to have any contact with the person they harmed. The person they harmed didn't have, any, have to have any direct contact with them. And we had a pod to support the survivor, which is always the most important thing. Like in the criminal justice system, right? The most important thing is like punishment like punishing the guilty and then it's like you know compensating survivors and victims or making sure they have what they need is like an afterthought if it's a thought like at all and so we want to flip that like on its head right we want to first make sure that survivors have what they need and that they feel comfortable and like cared for as much as possible and then if we still have resources and capacity left then we will try to hold the person who did harm accountable um, and so that's the most important thing right there. So this person was in the, was the, so this was, so there's basically kind of three situations with accountability. Um, there's like the situation where like someone is completely unrepentant. Uh, they're basically like, you know, yeah, I did it. Uh, so what? And then there's the situation where they're like, yes, I did it. And I feel really bad. And then of course there's people denying doing it, but I would consider that to be a form of unrepentant. Um, if, you know, if in fact they did do it, which often is the case. And then there's the worst kind of situation, which is um, the most hard to deal with because it's people who like say that they're 
repentant, but they're really not, or at least they're not really willing to be held fully accountable for their actions um, and actually change. But maybe they, they say they are, and they maybe even think that they are, but um, at the end of the day, they're not. And so that's the worst. And that's, those are the situations where like accountability processes often fail. And I think we like, if you search around places like Sprout Distro or whatever, you'll find a lot of stories about accountability processes failing. And I just want to be here to say that actually they can work. They can work really well when people are not just openly like, you know, it's possible to abuse an accountability process, obviously, but, you know, people shouldn't do that and not, and it's not a universal thing to abuse accountability processes. And so basically it's most important to make sure that the survivor gets what they want. Then secondary importance is holding the person like accountable and maybe giving them some stuff to do that's relevant and helping if they're down for it, you know, only with everything always with the survivor's consent, of course, but if they're down for it, maybe coming up with like a list of tasks that the, that the person who did harm can do to not, um, not obviously make up for it, but to like make sure that it won't happen again, make sure that they're working on themselves um, so that like this won't happen again. And that, for example, in a situation like this that had to do with like, you know, consent violation around like sexuality that had to do with like reading, you know, some, some like feminist writing, reading, I think in particular, um, the revolution starts at home from AK Press and some other stuff. And then this person, uh, like other people also did isolate them socially, which I, you know, which is, I think was fine. Um, given the context and they eventually after multiple months um, like wrote an apology which initially the survivor did not want to read but then eventually they did they changed their mind and did read it I don't want to pretend to say what they thought of it but yeah so that's what happened and I think that just like giving people stuff to do like giving like people who've done harm like giving them stuff to do like hey you need to like read this book or and do a report on it or you need to like help, you know, do this particular work, like help out at the volunteer at this um, community uh, event or like this charity or something, if that's relevant and helpful. Those are like the really constructive things that I think help. And you also obviously have to have like a sunset in mind. Like you don't want to just be like low-key turning this person into your like indentured servant forever. Um, so that's not good either. And um, and I think that this is a good, like, alternative to, to lots of different stuff. And I think it can be very labor consuming, but like, in terms of like labor, like you always want to keep in mind, you want to be offloading the burden of labor from the survivor and putting it on to the person who did harm as much as possible, because it's, it should be their job to like do the labor around being accountable. It should not be the survivor's burden it certainly should not be the survivor's burden but it also should not be the burden of like people who volunteered to like help in this process those people should not be having to do like tons of homework or whatever um as part of this process and if they are it's probably because they're either just doing it wrong or the person who's supposed to be being held accountable is making it difficult um you know more or less on purpose and um perhaps things need to get a little bit more severe and I think that also when people are unaccountable, that's kind of like the situation that we're in daily, like that's capitalism, basically. That's, you know, racism. That's, that's every day, like misogyny. It's like, 
you know, most misogynists and, and racists and capitalists are not willing to be held accountable, um, obviously. And so that's why we have to like form revolutionary unions and beat up rapists and um, like dox fascists and what have you. So yeah, I think all of those are also forms of, of holding people accountable. Yeah, I think that gets at one of my main concerns when we came up on the um, member who wanted to join with sexual history is like, maybe for him, it wasn't good because it was ongoing and like it was still in courts. But it's like, what about people who maybe did something when they were 16 and now they're 40? Like, do we still hold them as like the same thing? And I think it basically boils down to context and how their life has changed since then. Like if they're a repeat offender, obviously, no, go away. But if it's like, oh, and then since then, I've done a lot to like make up for the harm I've caused. And like, I'm a completely different human being now. And like, it, it seems like it's a more of a case by case. What what is your individual context look like compared to the harm you caused maybe 20, 30 years ago, you know? Yeah. And, and I think we can also keep in mind like some scientific realities, like people who do certain kinds of harm, like it's, it's more or less known that, that they're like, uh, that their, <laughs> their brains tell them to do it. And that that is a compulsion that they have. And so, you know, I think it's reasonable to like be suspicious of those, of those people. Um, but you know, I think, again, I'll just allude to, I think that there are ways to deal with that if we had like all the resources that are disposable yeah, at our disposal so. without like just um, leaving them in a ditch somewhere. In a different world, they but, would get mental health care and like get past yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but also I just want to say that like I, there are some, we've talked a lot about like gross, like the grossest crimes uh, imaginable, but I just want to say that's definitely not most prisoners and it's particularly not most IWOC members and um there are some IWOC members I think who and most IWOC members I think like IWW members if they knew like their stories more would be like you know oh my god like that's so cool like um would really be happy to get to know them we have like multiple bank robbers in uh in the union we have people yeah. who you know <laughs> yeah um who've like um done all kinds of you know like expropriation type actions um although they probably don't use such nerdy language for it then uh and then also i mean there's there to be honest with you there are a lot of people in prison like a lot of the set of people who are in prison a very very long time and like tend to stay there are people who killed someone and that sucks i'm just, like most again i'm speaking with a lot of generalities and it's not completely universally true but like most people i think most people who kill someone period regret it most people who killed someone and go to prison for it definitely regret it um and like a lot of those people are kind of and i guess what you would call the second degree category or that's what the state calls it where it's like they weren't planning to kill someone when they got up that day but they ended up in a really tough situation and they ended up killing someone or some, or maybe even someone that they were with ended up killing someone or someone who they loaned a car to ended up using the car to kill someone, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, the legal system can be really weird. Look up felony murder. If you want to see another thing that'll just like trip you out and be like, what the fuck? Felony, yeah, there's like felony murder. And then there's a bunch of other laws that are like sounding like they're one thing that are actually like completely different. To uh, wrap this up, uh... How can people get involved in IWOC if they're not already? 
They can email me at Brianna, B-R-I-A-N-N-A-I-W-W at gmail.com. And that's shorter than our IWALK email address. So that's why I'm giving you that. <laughs> so Brianna, I-W-W at gmail. Um, yeah, if people are in anywhere in California or really just the West Coast uh, region, you can hit us up. Um, Sacramento at IWW.org is fine. Um, and then also, if you are, don't, like, I think a lot of people would probably want to support iWalk, but maybe don't have, like, the whole capacity to, like, do lots of stuff. And I just want to say that's fine. We understand. Since we've grown a lot, we've been able to kind of, like, share the burden a lot more so that we don't have to have, like, people doing a ton of tasks, you know, and burning out and whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, like, you don't have, like, to be a member, you don't have to do a lot. Like, same with IWW, right? Like, you can just pay dues if you want to. And um, Hey, don't tell them that. I'm trying and, to lighten my workload here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, don't tell them that. Okay, fair enough. But um, <laughs> you can edit that out. But, um, <laughs> but uh, also, like, in IWOC, if you really don't want to join and you just want to, like, support or maybe you want to, like, call a prison administration and like bother them at an opportune time um, when it's very necessary you can just kind of follow us on social media so there's at incarcerated workers on instagram there is at sacramento underscore iwoc iwoc on instagram then there is also our twitter which is at capital iww underscore iwoc and i mean we have a facebook but does anyone use facebook anymore <laughs> we yeah, just I'm had this conversation and yeah, i was like did. no they don't <laughs> yeah except for me i'm 38 years old i was actually in a meeting earlier today where i said and i quote i'm pretty sure that i have become old enough to where when i say facebook i'm actually i actually mean all social media and that's the oldest thing i've said today and <laughs> i'm pretty sure i said something that was worse later but that's fine like that's boy that's where i am in life right now my grandmother right. got me to get on Facebook. She called me up and she's like, Brianna, you have to get on here. I didn't even have a Facebook account. I'm that old. You got to get on this Facebook thing. It's crazy. <laughs> All the kids are doing it. Um, I do want to add one other thing about people who would like to get involved. Like, don't worry that you don't know enough or you're not the person most affected or you don't have a family member in prison or you haven't been in it's okay. Like we so value anyone willing to help out uh, and we will be nice to you and we won't tell you like shut up and get in the back and whatnot. Like you can come hang out with us and we'll be nice to you and we will appreciate any, any skills you can offer in any time and energy at all. We're dying. Like people in prison, our members in prison are literally dying. We had two members in uh, Wisconsin that died during the 2016 prison strike. And so the people most affected in this situation are, are dying and we need help. That is true. And uh, I also want to say if you are impacted by this, if you are formerly incarcerated, um, if you know someone who's a close friend or, or family member who's incarcerated on like the flip side of what Brianna said, please also feel free to reach out to us. You don't have to be a member. You can also just come to us and say, Hey, you know, my family member uh, wants something that is not a lawyer um, and is not like really expensive. 
um, and we can maybe help out with that. Like if there's like a guard harassing them or they want just like maybe some books, that's something we've been dipping our, our toe into. I'll also just say, yeah, like if you want to, if you want to like support I Walk from a distance, definitely stay tuned on our social media. And yeah, for impacted folks, like feel free to hit us up. Feel free not to hit us up, of course, if you don't want to, but we will not try and, you know, make you feel uncomfortable or make your, you know, life situation or your friend or family member's life situation, like a, a huge subject of discussion. Um, we don't have to like know about your whole life in order for your um, participation to be welcome and valid. All right. I think that about does it. Big thanks to Brianna and Colin for being here. Derek, any last thoughts? I know I'm actually weirdly speechless. Maybe it's just because it's late. I feel it's late for me. I feel it's early for you, I know. God, you're just punching all the old man <laughs> bingo slots, aren't you? <laughs> it's not dirty, I better. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, whatever. I'll own it. All right. Well, thanks to Colin and Brianna for being here. And we'll see you next time. Bye. And that's the show, folks. It was recorded and edited by me, fellow worker Jason. The intro and outro song are also by me, fellow worker Jason. If you'd like to join the IWW and be part of the One Big Union, go to iww.org join. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns for us, you can always email us at ypsilanti at iww.org. And until next time, an injury to one is an injury to all.